Good morning, everyone. Before we start, we'll uh, open in a quick word of prayer. God, I thank you for this, uh, this time together. I just pray that you would use me to uh, clearly and effectively deliver your word this morning. I pray that um, Jesus would be exalted and glorified through the message this morning and that we might uh, grow closer to him this morning um, and just walk closer with him in our day-to-day lives um, after we leave here today. And in his name we pray, amen. So uh, it's really nice to be up here uh, again and delivering God's word to you this morning. Um, over the summer, I think it was in July, I preached on Second Peter chapter one, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So I just figured that I would just pick up uh, right where we left off, and I'm going to continue in Second Peter this morning. And when you, when you read the passage we're going to go through, there were a couple things that stood out to me as I, as I did my studying and I did my sermon prep. And... Uh, it was the theme of reminders. So we're going to see in a little bit that in uh, the first four verses of the short passage, Peter mes- me- uh, mentions reminders three times. So that had to be really important to Peter if he wanted to take the time to, to remind his readers of something um, and had to be very necessary if he was doing it, right? He wouldn't be wasting his time. He wouldn't be wasting his readers' times. He wouldn't be wasting our time uh, through the inspired word if it wasn't important. And when I read that, it made my sermon prep super easy because I was like, I can just repeat my same sermon. We'll call it a repeat, and I will remind you of everything I talked about over the summer. So it made it, uh, it, made it really easy from that point forward. But uh, if you think about reminders, right, they are really important. Think of all the reminders that we have on a, on a day-to-day basis, right? So we make shopping lists. So when you go to the grocery store, you don't forget what you need to buy for the house, uh, if you have a work calendar, right, you fill it up with all sorts of calls and meetings so you know what's on your agenda for the day or for the week. Uh, my Outlook will even pop up a reminder about 15 minutes before my next meeting or my next call will start. So uh, we have reminders in our work life. If you have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, you may have gotten a reminder at some point already to, hey, you need to stand up and move because you've been sitting for so long. Um, our car will actually remind us to check the back seat before you get out to make sure that you take the kids out of the car before you get out and you go wherever you're going. So we have reminders everywhere. Um, we remind our kids on a daily basis, don't forget to take your dirty shoes off before you come in the house and before you track dirt all over the white runners up your mother's carpet. <laughs> and Don't forget to say please, don't forget to say thank you, don't forget your manners. Uh, There's constant reminders all over the place. If you have employees that work for you, you might find yourself reminding your employees of certain things, right? Don't forget to submit your expense report. Don't forget to do your patient management audits because they're due at the end of the month. Don't forget to submit your peer review, it's due by the end of the day. So all kinds of reminders for certain projects or other tasks. How about reminders from your spouse, right? Honey, don't forget to take out the garbage. It goes out tomorrow morning. Don't forget we have the cookie exchange and the social at the neighbors this week. Can you please remember to fix the faucet this weekend? So when you think about reminders, right, if you're reminding other people over and over and over, they can be kind of annoying. And being reminded over and over can be annoying. But Amy, I'm not talking about you, right? (laughs) Your reminders, they're like a sweet melody to my ears, so I I appreciate them. (laughs) But (laughs) in all seriousness, like, we need those reminders. If you're honest with yourself, we really do. 
There's actually research that says that within 60 minutes of hearing a lecture um, or, or a spoken message, um, you will probably forget up to 90% of what was said. And that's not on a Sunday morning after New Year's Eve. So there will be a test at the end of this to see how much you recall. But I found the statistic of, of forgetting a lot of stuff, right? So do you. So we all do. And Peter's readers fell into that statistic as well. And he understood the necessity to give them reminders. The Holy Spirit knew that we're prone to forgetting, which is why the Bible is filled with reminders. So listen to some of these. So Deuteronomy 4.23 it says, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Deuteronomy 6.12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Deuteronomy 8.11-14, through 14, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So God gave all these reminders and all these warnings to Israel over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years. The people of Israel, they seemed to have a really good memory for the wrong things, and they had a really terrible memory for the good things and for God's truth. Listen to Isaiah 17:10. For you have forgotten the Lord, I'm sorry, you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. And if you think about the Passover in Exodus, Exodus 13, 3 through 10, this is a, a really beautiful picture and reminder of so many of God's attributes and so many of God's uh, qualities. When we look at the Passover, we see it as pointing directly to Jesus, right? It, it's a clear and evident display of, of the mercy of God and, and his redemption, of his righteous judgment and his justice. We see his grace, and we see the substitutionary atonement that we all should cherish, and when you look at the New Testament, the Gospels tell us how Jesus actually came to Jerusalem during Holy Week, and he came to celebrate the Passover. But it was more than that. He didn't just come to celebrate it. He actually came to be killed for it. The Apostle Paul tells us that Christ was our Passover lamb that was sacrificed. And when you look at the Passover from back in Exodus, right, that's the story of the, the Israelites. They, they took the, the perfect, spotless lamb that did not have a single blemish. They slaughtered the lamb. They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And the sons of Israel were spared from being killed that night, not because they were good people, not because they were more righteous people than the Egyptians. No, they were spared because of the blood that was on the doorposts. And that was Jesus. Jesus was that perfect, spotless lamb who was slaughtered. And when we're covered by his blood, we are spared also. And it's not because we're better people than, than anyone else, but it's because Jesus is and Jesus was. And the Passover celebration, this occurs every single year, right? Our, our Jewish friends, they celebrate this event from Exodus. But when they remember it and when they celebrate it, they are remembering it wrong, and they're celebrating the wrong thing. Rather than celebrating and remembering their freedom from sin and the freedom from the bondage of sin, they just see it as being freed from the bondage of the Egyptians. 
Now, sure, freedom, um, freedom from physical bondage is definitely a good thing, but freedom from your sin is infinitely greater and eternally significant. So our Jewish friends, they have a great memory for the wrong things. And it's really easy to look at this and think, man, how can you miss that, right? How can you remember this so incorrectly and be so off the mark? Just like it's easy when you're going through the Old Testament to look at the, the, the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness time and time again, even after God continued to, to be faithful and provide for them, or to look at Aaron um, and the people of Israel making a golden calf and just think, what are you doing? Like, how can you do this? But if you look at yourself, uh, we're not really any better. We dwell on things that we shouldn't dwell we hold on to things that we shouldn't hold on to. We forget a lot of things that we shouldn't forget. And this is why the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's filled with all sorts of reminders for believers. So what's the point of all these reminders, right? What do we do with them when we read about them? And how do we apply these truths to our lives? So if you open your Bible, um, if you're going to grab a black pew Bible, it's on page 1018. We'll be looking at 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. And the, uh, the sermon title is uh, Worth It All. So in verse 12, Peter says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time, to recall these things. So he starts off in verse 12, he says, therefore, I intend to always remind you of these qualities, right? So he's saying, therefore, he's referencing back to earlier in the book to, to the great salvation that he just told them about, right? He wanted to emphasize the importance of that salvation and remembering that salvation and blessings that come with it. And he would use this letter to make sure that his message as an apostle of Jesus Christ is heard and remembered long after his death. And this is necessary because we're all fallen and we forget who God is. We forget what he's done for us. And truth needs repetition because as believers, we forget easily. So look what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul's kind of surprised here that uh, he, was, he was with the, the church and he had taught them about um, end times or eschatology and he they seem to have forgot, and they've believed some things that some false teachers were, were teaching them, and he's just shocked that, that, that they could forget the, the truth that he taught them. In Jude 5, it says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So Jude here reminds his readers that they were well aware of the coming judgment that God had promised. They learned all about it. They heard it countless times, but in spite of, in spite of that, their certainty of it seemed to have, have faded a bit. So we forget easily, and we forget way far too often. So I'm going to remind you of the qualities that Peter is speaking of here, right? So the qualities that when you make a habit of practicing them, it gives you assurance and confidence of your salvation. So we have faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and brotherly love. So Peter's reminding his readers of those qualities. 
And then after he makes that point, he kind of switches over and he kind of gets apologetic in the, the second half of verse 12. Um, he didn't really want his readers to, to misunderstand his intention, right? He didn't have bad intentions here. He had good intentions. He wasn't being critical of them. He wasn't thinking, um, these guys are wavering in their faith again. I got to give them another reminder. Now, to be fair, Peter didn't have a leg to stand on if that was his thought process, right? Because maybe 30 to 40 years before this, it was Peter who denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times after Jesus was arrested and taken away to be executed. So Peter knew very well that even if you are grounded in the truth, even if you're in the inner circle of Jesus himself, you can go astray and in your thoughts or your actions. So constant shepherding, constant reminding, constant feeding of his flock was needed to protect his sheep. And the same goes for us. Constant shepherding, constant reminding, constant feeding is needed to protect us. So he's not being condescending in, in this verse here. He's actually being a loving, caring uh, shepherd. He's being meek. He's being tender. He's being gentle with them. He's actually affirming that, I know that you know these truths. Um, I know that you're established in them. And I want you to, to stand firm in those truths. So what does that mean? The word established, it, it speaks to having a firm foundation. So it means that you're able to withstand a variety of different circumstances without it being able to, to knock you over. And Peter had seen evidences in their lives and evidences of their faithfulness that they were grounded in, in the truth. They were grounded in, and faithful to the gospel. So essentially, he's saying what Paul had said to the Colossian church in Colossians 1, 5 through 6 Paul says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So then Peter moves on to verses 13, 14, and 15, and he gives more reminders. He says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter senses and he knows that his time is short, right? He's going to die soon, but that doesn't stop him from taking another opportunity to refresh their minds. Right? He's very repetitive, he's very deliberate, and he did it to emphasize a point. Right? He was a devoted shepherd who cared deeply for his flock, and I think that was a, a direct reflection of his, his loyalty and his devotion to, to Jesus. So Peter was going to use every chance he had, every opportunity that he had with the time he had left to stir up those in the church. So last time I preached, I... Uh, I told everyone that I was a pharmacist. So if you don't know that I'm a pharmacist, so that means I get to deal with all sorts of, of medications, right? So tablets, capsules, injections, patches, um, creams, liquids, um, all sorts of things. So I told you last time you can put your white, your white coat on and you could play pharmacist. You can do that again. We're going to uh, actually go into the classroom, Pharmaceutics 101. So when we're talking about liquids, you might be surprised to know that like a liquid's not just a liquid. There's a ton of different types of liquids as well. Some are oral, right? You, you 
put it in your mouth and you, you drink it. Some are topical, so you might put a liquid on your, on your skin. Some are parenteral, so that means like you could inject it into your body. And there's mixtures, there's elixirs, there's syrups, there's drops, there's enemas, there's solutions, there's suspensions. Like there's so many different kinds. So if you have kids or if you were, um, if you are a kid now, you've probably gone to the pharmacy and hopefully it was Walgreens and <laughs> you picked up the, the pink antibiotic liquid, amoxicillin, and that's a suspension. So what that means is that's a, a it starts out as a powder in a bottle and when you go to the pharmacy to, to pick it up, they have to, to go in the back and they have to mix the proper amount of water into that powder to make sure it becomes the right concentration, right, the right strength. But one thing you need to do when you take it home before you give that dose two or three times per day is like you got to shake the heck out of it, right? Shake it really, really well each time. Otherwise, if you don't do it, all the drug is going to sink down to the bottom. And when you pour it on the spoon, it's just going to be essentially pink water. It's not going to do anything. Your kid's not going to get better. Um, So yeah, you need to shake it well and shake it often. So we're like that amoxicillin suspension, right? We need to be shaken up. We need to be stirred up well, and we need to be stirred up all the time. As a believer, it's really easy um, for us to become sluggish or lethargic in our spiritual condition. We can be unalert. We can have a clouded mind. So look what Jesus says. He says in Mark 13, uh, 35 to 37, Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Paul, in Romans 13, 11, he says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And Peter himself, he so easily fell asleep while Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, even after being commanded multiple times by Jesus to stay awake, right? Jesus, um, it says in Matthew 26, 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
So when Peter's giving these reminders, he's just trying to be a, a good shepherd, and he tried to do this throughout his entire life as, as an apostle of Christ, as an elder in the church, as a teacher, and he did this by stimulating or shaking up his readers by teaching them and reviewing with them and re-reviewing with them the essential truths, the doctrines, and the commands of, of Scripture. And Peter, right, he saw the gospel in the flesh, he lived with Jesus. He saw Jesus die. He saw Jesus uh, be buried. He saw Jesus rise up on the third day. He saw Jesus ascend into heaven. He was taught directly by Jesus, and even he needed reminders because he had moments of doubt. So Peter's readers and us, we need constant reminders in order to apply the truths that have been taught to us already. So he wanted to make sure that there was freshness with the gospel rather than familiarity. So a couple things. So remember the gospel. Remember it always, right? So remember that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember that Christ came to die for sinners. Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And remember that you are forgiven by grace through faith. So the uh, Ephesians is really rich here. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the gospel is the gift that keeps on giving. It gives us everything needed for life and godliness. So what sorts of applications can we pull out of this passage? Like how can we breed freshness instead of familiarity with the gospel, right? So the first thing is uh, be an intentional learner. So we need to keep biblical morality at the forefront in our daily walks and our pursuits. So in order to know what biblical morality is, it's also important to know what biblical morality is not. So the best way to do that right, is to be in the Word every day, to know what it says. Come to church. Come to Sunday school. Come to the MIT classes um, that Pastor Daniel hosts, hosts um, occasionally. Do you set time aside for your daily devotions and your prayer and, and your daily reading, or do you just kind of cram it in um, where you can? If I can get it in for the day, great. If not, I'll just try again tomorrow. Um, no, or do you plan other events around uh, your time of worship, right? Do you plan things around church service? Do you plan things around making sure that you're, you're in the Word every day, right? We need to be intentional about it. We're very intentional about making sure that we eat three meals per day and a lot of times snacks in between, um, but is your appetite for the living Word as strong as your appetite for, um, uh, for food, and the Bible should be your primary tool uh, for reading and for study, but it's okay to supplement 
that time with other good um, Christian books and study material. So get a good study Bible. If you need a recommendation on which one's good or if you need help um, uh, buying one or affording one, uh, talk to pastor, talk to me, talk to one of the deacons, and we will um, get you taken care of. But you need to be intentional about learning and always learning. Uh, never be content with, with, um, with your walk with Christ. Number two, you need to be an intentional teacher. Right, so as you mature and as you grow, it's now your turn to teach other people. Right? So set apart time every day. I hope you're doing this to, to disciple your kids and to disciple your spouse, to disciple your friends, to disciple your brothers and sisters in Christ. Teaching someone is the best way for you to learn something and to, uh, to really remember it. Right? Think about Paul. He was, a, he was a very diligent student of the word. Um, and then he went on and took Timothy under his wing and, and, and taught him, and then Timothy did the same thing when he became a pastor of his church. So um, once, you, um, once you are mature, right, you need to take that and you need to teach someone else. And there's other, plenty of opportunities in this church to teach. Teach Sunday school. There's opportunities at youth group. Lead a men's group. Lead a woman's Bible study. Um, but you need to intentionally seek someone out to, to help them learn and grow. Next is to be an intentional doer. James 1.25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues to do it, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer who acts, this one will be blessed in what he does. So let your actions remind you of the gospel every single day. Let your actions and how you live be a reminder and a guide to others that point directly to Christ. And the last one is to be an intentional evangelist, right? The gospel is the one thing that everybody on this earth um, needs to hear. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Everyone needs to hear it, and everyone needs to be reminded of it. But you can't remind someone of it if they haven't heard it. So that's the first step. Tell someone the gospel, right? So don't let your fear of man stop you from sharing the gospel, in the back of the church there, there are um, a bunch of gospel tracks. On the table over here, there's a bunch of gospel tracks. Take some with you, right? When, you, when you're at the gas station, give one to the gas station attendant when you give them your credit card. When you go out to dinner, leave a gospel tract with the tip for your waiter or your waitress, right? So start being intentional about this, and let's start that now. So moving on to point two in your bulletin, verses 14 and 15. Um, so since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So again, Peter, for the second time here, he's mentioning that he knows that his death is near. So he takes another chance to, to give his readers a gospel reminder. So in this passage here, when Peter says, make every effort, so it's not just a, a casual desire or, a, gee, I sure hope this happens. No, it's, it's an intense effort. It's, uh, it's earnest and it's sincere. So when I said be an intentional uh, learner, an intentional teacher, an intentional doer, an intentional evangelist, you could substitute this here. Make every effort. Be an earnest learner. Be an earnest teacher. You could, you could substitute those perfectly fine. And given that Peter knew his time was short, um, it had to be really, really important to him that he wanted to spend more time on it. So time was important to Peter, and I know that time is important to us 
here today. Everyone here, uh, I'm sure, has, has busy lives. We have work, we have school, um, we have church life things, right? Sunday school, church. We might have a Sunday social after church. Um, there's board meetings during the week, prayer group, um, men's group, women's group, like you name it, all sorts of things. And then we have extracurricular activities for our kids, gymnastics and karate and horseback riding, um, whatever. So sometimes it just feels like there, there aren't enough um, days in the week. Sometimes it feels like there aren't enough hours in the day. Um, and time was created by God, though, right? God created it, and God directs it. If God wanted there to be 26 hours in a day, he would have made it that way. If God wanted us to have eight days in a week, he would have given us eight days in a week. But he didn't. God is sovereign over it all, right? He's sovereign over the coming of Jesus. Galatians 4, 2 through 4 says, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God was sovereign over Jesus' death. Right? And Jesus answered them. This is John 12, 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. God's sovereign over the return of Jesus and when that's going to happen. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. God is sovereign over the time of judgment. Psalm 75, 2. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. And God is sovereign over the last day. Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Peter was relentless in his diligence here to remind believers of the truth, to remind them of the saving power that is found only in the gospel, so that after he died, at any time, they might be able to call these things to mind, like he says. Right? It's not just knowing the, the, the facts about Jesus, right? His concern was more over the possibility that the truths that he's teaching them, that they weren't going to be a vital part of their, of their life and their walk with Christ. So it's possible to remember that Jesus calls you to, to live a holy life, but never really allow that holiness to, to take root in you, right? Or, or cause you to live in a manner that he calls you to live in, right? We are, we are far too comfortable with our sin. We're reluctant to give them up sometimes, but we shouldn't be because time is short. Jesus was aware that time was short, right? Throughout his earthly ministry, he, he, his earthly ministry was roughly three years. And during that time, he made several references that he must be killed to fulfill the prophecy of scriptures and to, to truly complete his mission. So Jesus, the savior of the world, he didn't have time to waste, right? There was a, a major sense of urgency with him. So I wonder if we have the same sense of urgency with our time. I wonder if we're using our time appropriately the way that Jesus used his time. I wonder if we're using our time appropriately and efficiently the way that Peter used his time. So I think there's some good practical applications that we can pull from, from this uh, passage we just read. So how do we make the best use of our time? So I'm going to give you four Ps that will help, uh, hopefully help you remember 
them. See what I did there? Remember. So four Ps. The first is prioritize. So I said earlier, like it feels like we all have like a million things to do in a given day, in a given week, in a given month. So you need to first evaluate and prioritize, you know, what's important and what's not. If you look at the book of Ephesians, it gives us a list of things that are high priority. So Christ and his church, your spouse and your marriage, your kids, uh, your work is important. Uh, and there's a bunch of other spiritual priorities as well. So if you look at Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, it says, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So that tells us that worship should be our top priority. If you remember the first and greatest commandment that we're given um, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So focusing on God is more than just coming to church every Sunday at 10.15 and sitting here to listen to a sermon. So that definitely, public worship is definitely part of that, but it's more than that, right? It's your, your personal time in your personal Bible reading. It's your personal Bible study time. It's your personal prayer time. It's the time you spend with your, your family and your family devotions and, and praying as a family, uh, praying with your kids or praying with your spouse. And what was the second commandment? The second commandment is to love others as yourself. So you need to love other people, um, but you also need to care for yourself, right? Personal care is important. Eating well, sleeping um, enough or sleeping well, exercising, all sorts of things. Caring for the needs of your spouse, caring for the needs of your kids, doing things together as a family. What about a date night out with, with your spouse, right? And then you have to take care of your house, right? The chores just pile up, right? Laundry, vacuuming, dusting, the dishes. And it feels like the minute you, you clean something and get it in order, either by nature itself, it's going to get dirty, or a little tornado named Jack is going to come through and just undo everything you just did. So um, you have to take care of the bills in your house. You have to, things break in your house. So you have to spend time fixing them or finding someone to fix it if you can't do it yourself. What about fellowship with your friends? What about fellowship with uh, church family? What about your responsibilities at church if you're, on a, if you're on a board here at the church? Then there's your job. That's easily 40-plus hours per week between the time spent on the clock, actually working, and commuting to and from work. And then you could be doing things in the community, right? Community service or volunteer, volunteer opportunities. So there's all sorts of things. The list goes on and on and on. But it, you, I want you to prioritize things into four main categories, right? So the first thing, things that are true, non-negotiable priorities. Uh, number two, things that are important. Number three, something that's good if, you, if it's possible to do it. And the fourth thing is uh, if it's just optional, Right? So your next P, so you prioritize, you put everything into one of those four buckets, and then you want to, uh, the second P is plan. So you have all your priorities in line, they're in the right bucket, so now you need to figure out how much time do I need to accomplish all of these different things, right? So let's say Sunday school, that's an hour and 15 minutes between class and travel time. Church, that's two hours plus tra uh, for service plus travel time. Work, We'll call it 50 hours um, for time on the clock plus travel. So do this for each item and, and see what you come up with. So one thing that can help you in your planning, in your bulletin today, there is a Bible reading plan. So this is a great way to help you stay in the Word every day. 
uh, to hold yourself accountable to making sure that you're in your word and you're reminding yourself of the gospel truths every day. And you get to go through it systematically, verse by verse, book by book, just like we go through books of the Bible here on Sunday mornings. So if you follow this plan, it doesn't let you pick and choose what you want to read. It doesn't let you skip anything that you think is unimportant because I can assure you and nothing in this book is unimportant. If it was unimportant, the Holy Spirit would not have um, put it in there. If you say, you don't have time to read through the Bible, 15 minutes per day will get you through the entire Bible in a year. So go back to your planning, right? You have everything figured out, how many hours I need for this, how many hours I need for that. You have 24 hours in a day. That's 168 hours in a week to get all that done. So if you take away your sleep and you take away your work, right, you're left with roughly 70 hours to do everything else. So that brings us to our third P, right? You're probably going to have to purge something or a bunch of things out of what you think you need to do or things that you have prioritized. So you're going to have to cut some things out from the good if possible. You're probably going to have to cut some things out from the optional category. And if you need help purging or prioritizing, this can help. So this is the one time you can take your phone out in church. So take your phone out. If you have an iPhone, I'm going to give you directions. So open your settings. And then if you, if you, right towards the top, you have something that says screen time. It's like a little uh, purple icon with, a, with an hourglass. If you click that button, don't click it yet, but be prepared. This is going to tell you how much time you spend on average every day on your phone, on things like Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Etsy, whatever other app you're doing, Pinterest. So how much time are you spending in those things, and is that a valuable use of your time? Could you be using that time you spent on Facebook doing other things that glorify God? So the last P, which is not any less important, is to pray. So I'm going to encourage you to use what... The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 as a guide for your prayer. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So when you pray, pray that God would give you wisdom in your daily walk with him. Pray that God might protect you from distractions or from things that don't build you up, that don't build other people up, that most importantly, that don't build up, exalt, um, or magnify Christ. Um, Pray that you would understand what God's will is and pray that he might use you and he might use the time that he's given you to accomplish his will. So I originally had planned to go on through the end of the chapter, but um, the next six verses, they are pretty, um, they're pretty rich, they're pretty deep, um, and I'd rather not rush through that. So I am going to wrap this up in um, another few minutes. So if you think about time, the time of salvation is now. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you're here today and you're not truly trusting in Christ for your salvation, 
If you're not trusting that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this world and that he lived a perfect, sinless life and then he went and died on the cross taking the punishment for sin, taking the punishment for my sin, taking the punishment for your sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be washed clean, so that your sin debt would be completely erased, so that when God looks at you on judgment day, he will declare you not guilty because he's not going to see your sin. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus. If you haven't done that, then today is the day. Like, right now is the time. If you don't, otherwise, the sentence is an eternity in hell. And eternity is a very, very long time. So you have to repent of your sin. Repent, turn from your sins, forsake them, kill them, hate them, put your faith in Christ for your salvation, trust that what he did on the cross, trust that his death is sufficient for your salvation, and there's really nothing else that you can do to add to the work of Christ. And the moment you do that, in that instant, you are forgiven forever. If you're a believer, so remind yourself of that gospel truth every single day. Soak yourself in his word, immerse yourself in the word daily, If you want something to supplement your Bible reading, there's this book, it's called A Gospel Primer for Christians, Learning to See the Glories of God's Love. So it's a short book. It's, I don't know, it's about 95 pages. The font is not super big, um, but it's a really good resource to help you see God's truth, to cherish his love, to cherish his glory, um, and it really shows the, the life-transforming power of the gospel in, in all areas of your life. It's a great way to preach the gospel to yourself every single day and to remind yourself of it. So I'm going to close with James 4, 13 through 14. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So use your time wisely. Use your time efficiently because human life is brief and we need to use, use the time properly. Make every oppor- the most of every opportunity that you have. You have 24 hours in every single day to glorify, to magnify, and honor Jesus. So don't waste any of that time. So spending your time glorifying Jesus, our King, is worth it. Being reminded of the gospel and the doctrines in in our Bible isn't annoying. It's worth it. And Jesus is worth it. And he's worth it because he gave his all for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for, um, for this time and the opportunity to deliver this message. Um, I pray that um, we would never grow familiar with the gospel. I pray that we would cherish it, that we would love it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray that we would tell others about it. God, I pray that you would use us and use our time to appropriately glorify and magnify your name. I pray that you would remove things from our our lives that that don't build you up. God, I pray that as we we close out here today, I pray that um, the the things that we're, we're 
taught this morning that they might um, help us in our, in our day-to-day walk with Christ and allow us to, uh, to love him fuller. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.